I want walk-on music every Sunday now. <laughs> that was all Kirsten, our creative director. Thank you, Kirsten. And she also did the reading today. Um, we call her creative director, but man, you do so much more than that. But um, thank you so much. Lovely. I already, there's a problem. When you do something well, you're immediately expected to do it again. So as soon as I saw it, first time I turned to her and I said, Deborah's next week. Do your best. That's <laughs> uh, it's a what have you done for me lately type thing, isn't it? So, but that was lovely. What an interesting church. You know, we have a tax code quoted to us. We have, a, we have. A, I, I've never heard that before. Actually, I was going. Where's where where is he going uh, on us? Um, we don't censor. We don't check ahead of time, and it's fine. It's lovely. Uh, we have a missionary you know, doing our communion from Indiana. We had, uh, I got text yesterday, some of our members who are uh, a little distant, they're still in Tennessee, let me know that they worked with One Gen Away yesterday, which is one of our charities here, to feed 281 families uh, there over toward Dixon. Other messages coming in, we, please check in if you've not checked in. We get a check-in every week from Tanzania and Epaphras. We, we would love to hear your congregation sing. And Taylor Hoskins did a great job. And I'm not just saying that because Taylor also plays Taylor guitars and Alvarez guitars. But it shows he's a man of taste and discernment. And so we appreciate that. we got a story to tell you. And as I always like to start, are you, are you seated comfortably? Then I'll begin. It's about a hero. There's something painfully predictable about heroes in our books and movies. I was in a bookshop recently, and I like to read thrillers and mysteries. And so I was looking to see what's new. And every single one of them started off, well, first of all, there are more formal seal, uh, former seals in the world than there have ever been seals. It's just, I don't know why they've got to do that now. Uh, everyone's got to be a seal of some sort. But, and they're, they're great and they're wonderful, but they're seriously broken. And every one of them has to be fit in that frame, seriously broken and flawed. But the fact is, all of our Bible heroes are incredibly flawed, except for Jesus. While they, were, they may have been broken by circumstance, most heroes in Scripture are broken by their own bad decisions. In other words, they're like us. Most of my scars are self-inflicted. Most of the pain in my life was brought in by my bad decisions, my not responding well to situations. And I would assume that I'm not alone in the room or even in the room where you're watching this. Today's story is about a hero. It's a prophet. My favorite when I was growing up, I liked him because he wasn't a, um, and here's a phrase I've not heard in a long time, an ambi-pamby type minister type. He was, he was a man of action. He was. And I liked him. I liked Elijah the Tishbite. Now, I don't know why we need to know that he was a Tishbite, but now we do. When we think of prophets, we think of people like Elijah. We, there are some prophets that show up, like Obadiah, he'll show up again today, but show up, say their thing, and go away. But Elijah comes, and he just wreaks havoc. He was rough. <clears throat> he was rough in appearance, rough in words. Was he a giant of the faith? Yes. No. Sometimes. Maybe. It's easy to get carried away here and be so impressed by Elijah that we forget he was a human. 
And if you don't watch out, you can start reading these stories and you start thinking, right, um, you know, that was really good for them. But look, look how God equipped them and placed them in this situation and the like. And I'm no Elijah. Well, no, you're not. But God still does great things through the terribly unqualified. That's what he did with Elijah. Because there's a, there's a point to the story of Elijah that I'm not really sure we've noticed. I think Semitic readers would have gotten it. But we are so far removed from this time. So let's, let's talk about Elijah. He was brave and he was afraid. He was strong and he was weak. His faith pattern was like us. So let's remove the detritus of history and allow ourselves to look at him as a person with all of the benefits and blessings and curses and problems that that entails. In other words, like us, but when God spoke through him, something changed. There were some fantastic things that happened here. But I learned later in life that the story of Elijah, the fantastic things weren't the things I thought were the fantastic things. But maybe I get ahead of myself here. When we first meet Elijah, he enters the court of Ahab. And the scripture says that king of Israel, Ahab, was the worst king of Israel ever had. And that's not an easy target to hit. They had some terrible kings. And to say he was the worst king, I'm thinking, well, have we looked at Manasseh yet? But that, that's a Chronicles thing. And here, he is really, really bad. In fact, his wife is even so bad. We don't name anybody Jezebel anymore because she ruined the name. Uh, it's like Adolf. No, no, we're not doing Adolf. And we're not naming your kid Jezebel. There are some names that are off the table because it's just so bad. Elijah arrives, walks right in, <clears throat> tells him, there's not going to be any rain until God says so. It says for a few years, some years, until God says so. And not even dew on the ground. You know, we could say no rain for a while. That's, that could be a natural thing. But the no dew seems to indicate, no, this is God deciding this. It's God's punishment on Ahab. But also, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 2 Kings chapter 2, that's the whole story of Elijah. Jam-packed. If you read, you'll find out it wasn't just a punishment on Ahab. It was a punishment on the people that allowed him to stay in power. Think about that. We get the government we deserve. We get the government we vote for. Everybody hates Congress, but votes for their congressman. It's one of those patterns. A repeating and never learning. The Bible tells us in, in Romans 14, 22, do not condemn yourselves by the things that you approve. Left and right need to pay attention who are you empowering? And do they do this with your permission? Or do you decide, this world is not my home. We are pilgrims here and strangers. It is, um, I think it's hard for us to look at ourselves as pilgrims and strangers. Uh, Taylor Hoskins led one of my favorite hymns, Where Could I Go But To The Lord. I had not heard that song until my father did a meeting, I believe somewhere in the wilds of Illinois. And I was a boy and I got to go along and they sang that song. And I was so entranced by the tune that I told the song leader I'd like to hear it again. So he sang it the next night too. There are some benefits to being, I guess, the, the, men, the visiting minister's kid. But I did feel, I feel uncomfortable singing one of the lines. 
uh, hardly a comfort can afford. We live in Middle Tennessee. We're probably doing all right. And yet, I understand the concept of the song enough to... It's kind of like that, that old hymn, None of Self and All of Thee. Starts off, I sing with enthusiasm. But if you don't know that song, every song you're giving up more of yourself until the last you're saying, there's none of me, it's all about Jesus. And I find it really hard to sing that song with a straight face because I'm not sure I'm there yet. Elijah wasn't there yet either. But God told him to go in front of Ahab and say, because of you and because the people have allowed you to stay in power, no rain for anybody. Elijah is directed to leave the area and hide by the brook called Cherith. And he was to drink from the brook and ravens would bring him his food. I have no idea how that worked. I have tried to figure this out all my life. But I have the feeling it's a poetic thing and I'm not supposed to. When the brook dries up, yeah, it dries up. And you might be thinking, well, hang on. I was told to come here. He's sent to Zarephath. And there he was to find a widow to lodge with. This is very common. Uh, widows had very, very few options. And running Airbnb of the day was one of the better that they could do. So he goes and he meets this woman and she turns out to be a very, very sad woman. First Kings 17, 12, who is ready to prepare her last meal for her and her son. And then they're going to lay down and starve to death. You might think, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't there any other options? Sadly, no, no. Society back in those times, and this was not decreed by God, but it was the way society was, was if a man died, his wife owned no property. She had to go back to her father's house and, and once again start all over, no matter what her age was or his. Well, what if he's dead? Well, then she has to rely upon the older son to earn uh, a living and to manage property. What if your son is a minor? Then you've got nothing. Nothing. Many of them moved to prostitution. You find that all the way through the Old Testament. That was their only way to feed their babies. There were others that sold themselves as slaves of one kind or another. And then there were those that had a little bit of money and were able to manage for a while, but hers had run out. Well, God makes a miracle take place. We know the story. He says, take your containers, because oil and meal is all she had. Uh, a ground up grain meal. He said, take your containers and go to your neighbors and, and get containers from them. Because going to get a container was tough. Finding containers was tough. You couldn't go to the shops. These are precious things. They're broken. You might not ever be able to get a replacement. But she goes about and she gets containers. And God then fills them up with oil. So she is not only able to cook for her family, but she's also able to sell oil. And make some money. A little side note here. God did not miraculously fill with oil any vessel she didn't get. That's not said. But it's plain. They only filled the ones that she brought. God will bless us to a certain measure of our faith. But if we don't trust him with certain things. We may not get the blessing in those areas of our lives. So she trusted She's able to move on. And then, you know, things picking up. And then all of a sudden her son gets sick and died. And Elijah, um, he's a little upset by this. Going to God basically saying, what are, you, what are you thinking? 
you sent me here. The brook dried up, if you remember. I'm here now. And now the widow's son is dead. She's going to think it's me. And the widow did, actually. She said, she indicated that she had committed some sin in her life. And she thought this was the judgment. And Elijah's going, no. See, God doesn't work that way. That's what the, that was a mistake of the friends in Job. Was that he's going through a rough time. He must have sinned and God's bringing a judgment. If you remember, that was still the prevailing idea when Jesus walked the earth. The apostles came to him and said, this man was born blind. Well, who sinned? His parents or him? And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. We often attribute blame whenever somebody is sick for a long time or whenever somebody hits several different financial crises. And of course, again, once again, we can be sick of our own making and we can have crises of our own making but sometimes it just seems like the universe is picking on somebody. What do we do? Well, Elijah prays and says, don't, don't let your reputation be sullied here. And he goes down, he prays uh, over the boy, and the boy is raised from the dead. He's the first person raised from the dead in Scripture. It's Elijah. Well, the mercy of God was evident. Elijah's decided the time has come. He needs to go back, have a word with Ahab. And on the way, he meets somebody we already know, although we've not talked about his story in this series, Obadiah. And Obadiah goes, you're a hunted man. And they want to kill you. And the king's got people out on all the roads looking for you to kill you. Don't go. Because I've got an end with the king and I've been trying to talk to him. And Elijah says, you go tell the king then that I'm coming. And Obadiah goes, well then you'd better come. Don't Make me look like an idiot. Isn't it interesting? Two people from God, both prophets, are arguing on the road about what to do. And then once they decide, you'd better do it. I like that story. Because you see, we're still going to argue on the road. People who, two people who dearly love Jesus can have an argument on the road. And not understand or agree upon what we should do for Jesus. Paul had difficulty with John Mark. We don't even know what it was. We know John Mark wanted to leave and go do something. We don't know what it was and what justification Paul had for saying, I don't want to work with him. Later in life, Paul repented of that and asked for John Mark. So give it time. We may disagree today, but that doesn't mean we'll disagree forever. Well, Obadiah warns him. He says, you've got to go now. If I'm going to tell him, you've got to go. But be aware, the kill order is still out there. You be careful. Elijah walks into Ahab's presence. And it is dangerous. The king could have just said, kill him. And the king was that kind of person. The king says, oh, is it you? You who trouble Israel. Isn't it interesting? The people that cause the trouble always point at others. In psychology, that's called projection. Where you blame the other for really what you're doing. It's a, it's a truism in psychology. And again, I, you know, I repented of those days. <laughs> I went on went harder science. But um, a truism that if you've got a couple in counseling and one continually accuses the other one of something, they're the ones that are doing it. Because it, and by the way, and I saw it happen again and again and again. So Ahab's going, it's not me that's troubling Israel. It's these church people. It's Elijah. Elijah's tough here. I like him. He's full of uh, vinegar and faith and fire in chapter 18 and, and verse 18. 
He gives the king directions on what to do next. Who gives the king directions? Elijah does. See, that's why I liked Elijah. Elijah was Gary Cooper in High Noon. He was, he was John Wayne and the sons of Katie Elder. Uh, he was Shane, is who he was. If you don't know any of these things, you, your education is so lacking. <laughs> I'm very, very concerned. And you probably have a case for abuse. Uh, please, con please consult a lawyer. Someone called me yesterday and set out a situation and says, do I need a lawyer? And I said, the answer to any person who is asking, do I need a lawyer, is always yes. If you think you might, you do, and you needed them yesterday. Uh, so uh, but anyway, and Elijah says, all right, if you think I'm the trouble, and I'm saying that you're the trouble and you're false gods, let's do a contest. You can almost hear the whistling in the background and the spaghetti western, and we're going to meet in the center. Because all good stories are westerns. Even sports stories, all, try me. Look at you, it's all a western. You got the guy out of town, the hired gun, doesn't fit in. They're the ones that do it. But here comes Elijah, and he goes, let's have a contest. Now here I'm going to let you know I'm going to mispronounce a word on purpose. All my life, I was told this God's name was Baal. I have since found out that people that really know the languages, it's Baal. But I'm not going to do Baal all day, all right? <laughs> Baal. He's not a real God. I don't care. It's easier. I, I'm not paid by the syllable, but if I was, I would say Baal and, and get the extra. He says, we're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel. That's the most visible place in this area. It's a bluff by the sea. And so we're going to be there. And prophets of Baal, get up here, and I'll get up here. We'll both build an altar. And whoever can call fire down upon the altar, then that's the God that we serve. Now, one thing troubles me here. I don't really see Elijah ever going to God and getting the okay before he set this up. I'm assuming there was a conversation. It seems rather presumptuous if there wasn't one. I, um, my father was a hard man. And not... He, have you ever seen a wounded rhinoceros loose in a phone booth? That could be my dad. And I can remember once we were in an area where a guy was, he claimed he was an apostle. It had it on the side of his van. Apostle of God, you know, full of the Holy Spirit, and sick, healed, dead, raised. And that guy wanted to debate my dad, and dad said, it's easy. We'll just debate in the graveyard. You pick any grave you want. You say, come up out. I'll say, you stay there. We'll see who God listens to. And I'm, I'm thinking, we're not getting out of this room. We're going to die in this room right now. We, we survived, barely. That's what he's doing here. So the, the Baal priest were allowed to... Um, and by the way, the, uh, God, the god Baal was supposed to control the weather. So that includes rain. It's one of the reasons God withheld it. To show you who's in charge. Well, priest of Baal, uh, the demon god who controls weather... We're challenged to uh, put up or shut up. So there are a lot of them. 450 prophets and four, um, a Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, who was his companion slash wife. And then there's Elijah on the other side, all on his own. And he said, you guys go first. So they started. Now both God and Baal were said in poetry to ride the thunderstorm. So whichever one lights up the sacrifice is God. Well, the prophets of Baal started. They danced from morning till noon. Nothing happens. 
Well, at noon, Elijah starts taunting them, going, maybe you need to be louder. Maybe he's asleep. You're going to need to wake him. Maybe he's gone on a, on a trip. He's on, he's on holiday. He's, you know, a bus tour or something. He doesn't say bus tour, but he does say on a trip. He just, and, and again, as a boy, I loved that. I thought that's the way to do it. Go for him. Jugular or nothing. You know, you don't have a fight or flight response. You have a fight or fight response. That's the way to do this. Well, the prophets of Baal did get louder. They started cutting themselves as a sign of faith, contrition, repentance, but also as an imitation of rain. And that's so hard for us to understand. But please remember last week's sermon about cargo cults, sympathetic magic. If we're causing drops to hit the ground, it's a way to tell our God we need his drops to hit the ground his reign to come. But it went on till evening and they got nothing. And it was Elijah's turn. The sun is setting over the sea. Mount Carmel, by the way, if everything else is, is, um, is dry, Mount Carmel normally turns green. Because if you know anything about weather, you know that a mountain by the sea strips the rain out for what comes east. And when I go up to um, Whitby, island every year to work with the wee church there they're in the northwest pacific northwest but they get very little rain compared to seattle why san juan islands are offshore and those mountains get it so it's a very it's what a, what a scene here the sun's coming down elijah then rebuilds slowly the altar that was there to the lord that had fallen into disrepair and misuse and they dug it elijah you got to give it to him that he dug a trench around the altar and he called for water to come. We're going to have to make this easy for God. Pour water on the altar until you keep pouring until it overflows and fills the trench. And then Elijah steps up and prays. 1 Kings 18, 36, 37. And a crack of thunder, a blast from heaven. Fire engulfs the altar, the wood, the stones, even licks the water from the ditch. At sunset. Can you imagine what that looked like? Well, the people start shouting that God is God. I would too. At this stage, I'd be Team Elijah. I'd be making t shirts. Elijah then commands them, the people, to seize the prophets of Baal and kill them before they can get away. That seems a bit much, doesn't it? Now, it's true. And I've heard arguments justifying this, saying that, um, well, the, you know, Baal, in his name, there has been much murder, rape, and slavery. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But you, can you imagine Jesus ever saying, go kill these guys? He didn't, did he? He didn't say that about the Pharisees, the Romans, or anybody. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I'm not sure Elijah had the okay from God for all of this. But 450 prophets were killed. And then Elijah bows in prayer and asks God to lift the drought, to end the rain. Now, here's important. You may have known the story so far. You may know some of the rest of the story, but you might not know the why the story is here and the overarching reason we have the story. Elijah was writing, hi, success, success, success. He thought there was going to be a different outcome. Hold that aside. Elijah goes out 
he bows and he prays for rain. And he sends his servant to see if any clouds are rising up from the sea yet. And they're not. So the scripture says he prays seven times. Now, once again, as a boy, I was always, why things happen in seven twelves and forties in scripture? Later, I would learn that the Hebrew people used numbers not with precision as in exact amount, but to illustrate something. So 40 years is a generation. Uh, 12 years, you have the perfect foundations. You have a holy number of three. Seven means as long as it took. So it might have been three times. It might have been 30 times. He's going to keep praying till there's a cloud. Seventh time, the uh, servant checks. He goes, yes, it's a tiny one. It's the size of a man's hand. And Elijah turns to him and says, run. Elijah is so certain the storm's coming. He says, you got to get out of here to shelter right now. I think of that kind of faith. It's one of those, if you pray for rain, carry an umbrella. But he would also get on the internet and tell everybody else to wear it, to, to bring an umbrella and your galoshes because it's going to be something. He puts himself out there. And God follows up with rain. Is Elijah a giant of faith? Only sometimes. Because right after this, he runs and hides. He finds that Jezebel, the queen, has called for his death. And he, he hides. That, that's, he's never done that. Why would he do that now? Have you ever asked yourself the question? It's because he's only been used to victory. And now he thought it was going to keep going. But it isn't. Jezebel has renewed the death warrant on him. He thought they'd learned it was going to be different now. So he runs in fear. He's depressed. And he wants to die. And she wants to kill him. And that upsets him to where he wants to die. It seems that we have a deal here. But actually, he probably was afraid of the loss of his position. The loss of his meaning. The loss of his identity at the hands of a wicked woman. And um, a wicked man been trying to kill him for a long time. But now he hides. He had lost confidence in God. He was disappointed with the results of the contest on, Bay uh, on Mount Carmel and the rain. So God feeds him, keeps him going. But Elijah doesn't go back into the conflict. He finds a deep cave. He's done. So a voice comes to him. It's a very familiar question. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? We've heard that question before. We've heard it in the Garden of Eden. Where are you? It didn't mean a geolocation. God knows their physical presence on a physical planet. But do you know where you are spiritually right now? Elijah, where are you? And he replies in fear in uh, same 1910 saying, listen, I'm the only one left that's been speaking and fighting for you and I'm losing. This is basically God, you're not running this planet the way it needs to be run. And if you've never said that or thought that, I'm not sure I trust you. 
Because most of us do, at some level, go, what? Why? So, here's the point of the story. Here comes a mighty and powerful wind that shattered rocks. Now, if you're thinking, how could a wind break rocks? It's not that way. It's an expression. Wind can come so strong that it creates rock slides. We've seen rock slides and mudslides in Colorado that, I mean, within, minute, within a minute, literally within a minute, covers a four-lane highway. Out of nowhere, just boom, all the way up to the tops of cars with mud and rock. Wind and weather can do that. Here comes the wind. So he goes out to meet God in this powerful wind, but God's not in the wind. Remember that. He goes back in the cave, and there's an earthquake. It is an earthquake-prone region, but there's an earthquake. So he goes out thinking, now God has shown up, because God shows up in this, obviously. No, it's not God. He goes back into the cave, and a fire comes. I have no idea what that thing was and what it fed on, but here comes fire, and he thinks God's coming in fire. He goes out, and God's not in there. How disappointed he has to be. When he goes back in, and then he almost hears something, but it's a still, small voice. And he walks out of the cave, and there's God. We want the flashy. We want the big win. We want the Mount Carmel contest to show the world. I can remember once taking a course in a university uh, on anthropology, and I took it because I needed a class at that time of day. I'm not going to be an anthropologist. And the teacher walked in first day, first day, and went on this 10, 15-minute tirade against anybody who believes in God, faith, Christianity, Jesus, Scripture, everything. He was setting the rules day one. I'm sitting there thinking, this wouldn't be hard, God. Just sh show up. Grin at him. You don't even have, um, fingers of a man's hand. I remember you did that once. Just come down and go, knock him over. I mean, the effect, think, instant conversion. You didn't do it. We want that. We want it. But that's not where God is. And sometimes in our worship, if we don't watch out, we can be all about the noise, the bangs, the fog, fog machine, the, uh, the talent of the, the singers, or it's, God's not in there. He's in the small voice. Now, I'm not opposed to, I'm not going to say that any of that's sinful, because I don't think it is. What I'm saying is you, that's not how we find God. We can celebrate God in a very noisy way. In fact, he kind of likes that, according to the Psalms. But we will hear him in the gentle whisper of the Spirit, not in the bang. And that's the message. Because when Elijah died, he had left no lasting effect. His entire ministry had not moved the needle of Israel in any way. That's what we want. We want the guy to ride into town and save us from the bad guys. But we also want him to come back and do it again tomorrow and the next day. And God goes, that's not how this works. 
one of the hardest things to do when I talk to people. And they'll say, well, well, what should we do in our community? And what should we do? And I say, love one another. And they're going, yeah, yeah. But to set up a church, I don't think God wants you to set up a mini temple. I don't think he wants our safe harbor to become a corporate uh, a copy of a large brick and mortar church. No, love one another. It's, it'll work. They will follow you home. They will follow you to Jesus, but you got to do the hard work. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be the big thing. I, I can remember in Scotland, they, they, uh, the, the Americans would come over and um, they'd bring all the college students. Now, please understand the effect of this. You know, we've, we've never heard anybody but, you know, five people with hairnets sing hymns. And then, you know, let's make you a Scottish person. And then 40 of the most beautiful men and women you've ever met, young people, singing these beautiful songs in a town square and saying, come to church. We go there and they're singing. It's going, great. And then they leave. And you go back and it's, I say here and that's more like a doily. They had to, they said it had to, had to cover their heads. I'm going, that, you missed a bit. But, um, you know, it's like the things that are on, the, on your grandmother's arms of the chairs. Just slap one of those on there. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm going, this was kind of um, a bait and switch. God, and by the way, people going over, they then fall in love with mission work. There's great value in all of this. But you need to understand the hard work begins then of loving one another till they want to be worshiping God. Doilies or not, they want to be worshiping God where the other worshipers are. And if that means we have to adjust the way we sing because these people sing different songs, okay, we will adjust. There's an Aesop's fable about this. And I told Dave I was only going to go for 30. I'm going longer. There's an Aesop's fable about this. There was an argument between the sun and the wind as to who is the most powerful. And so the, they decide, well, here's a man walking down the road wearing a coat. Let's see who can get the coat off of him. The wind goes first and blows harder and harder. And the harder the wind blows, the more tightly the man holds his coat. When the wind gives up, the sun gently warms him and he takes off his coat. People will not respond to blood and thunder except for a little bit. Then they go back. But the still small voice of love, that they respond to. And God tells Elijah, by the way, you're not that big a deal. <laughs> you're not that important. Because he says, I'm the only one left. He goes, I got 7,000. And again, God doesn't, isn't counting people. And they always come out to a round number. A thousand means all of them. Seven means as many as it takes. He says, I got all the people I need, Elijah. You just need to join the group. You just need to get out of the cave. Put your life at risk. Face forward. And do the job. So many of you are forming house churches. And we love that. And we want to come visit them. And we want you to come visit us at the soundstage. We have several visitors here today. And they're always just, it makes us happy. But some of you are out there sitting on a couch by yourself. And there are a lot of reasons why you might be by yourself. But whatever it is, you might feel very lonely. But I want to assure you, you are not alone. God's got people all around you. The Holy Spirit is with you. We are with you. Distance is a myth 
Uh, in physics, we know that, but it's very hard to explain that to people who think of distance as a reality. God has, a, um, God has people, and we're your people, and you're not alone. We want to hear from you. We want to help you. Elijah will do some things again, but he will never be, he'll never be what he wanted to be because he's finding out that God doesn't arrive in thunder. But I find it wonderful that God kind of throws Elijah a bone at the end and takes him to heaven in a chariot of fire. Because that's what he always wanted God to do. He wanted God to be like this. And God's kind of going, okay, we're going to give Elijah this one. And takes him in a chariot of fire. I like that about God. God listens. If we follow God, we're not going to be in a chariot of fire. And God's not going to come and flick the head of one of our professors. But the still small voice, love one another. Or as um, John said, when they kept asking for a new commandment, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. It's hard. It's the still small voice. In our worship, we're trying to get back to that a little bit more. I'm about to switch over microphones, brother. There we are. And because of that, uh, you've seen the changes. You've read the newsletter uh, that talks about our vision and what it's always been, but what we're trying to make sure we stay with. We want to be that still small voice, not to flash the bang, but the steady worship of God, elevation of Jesus above all other things. No brand names. No fog machines, just Jesus.